you're getting boozed up at the winter meetings, but like being receptive to advances, I think it, it always just strikes a different chord for me. Uh, on the Yankees front. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Touch 'em All podcast. Phil Mackey here in the luxurious 1500 ESPN Twin City Studios and Derek Wetmore out in Washington, D.C. at the Major League Baseball winter meetings. Before we get to Derek and talk about the Brian Dozier trade rumors, if you could subscribe to our podcast on iTunes if you're not already or give us a four or a five star preferably rating on iTunes, that would be magical. And uh, like our station's page on Facebook to facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. You can also find uh, branded, hashtag branded pages for Derek Wetmore and myself, Phil Mackey. Uh, Derek, are you standing next to Ken Rosenthal and uh, on top of John Heyman, or what are you doing right now at the winter meetings in Washington, D.C.? No, I think one of those guys is hiding in a Christmas tree, and I think the other is just puppy dog guarding the escalator to make sure people don't get up and down. I mean, it is funny how, like, there's this spectrum, right? There's a spectrum from nobodies, i.e. me, to somebodies, and you're just always bumping into someone, whether it's somebody with the Twins or somebody uh, with another major league organization or even just, you know, the reporters they were talking about. It's it's a crazy mix of of executives, of some players even, of job seekers, of reporters. Uh, the winter meetings is not really like anything I've covered before. Yeah, what would you say, you know, because it's not just GMs and scouts and sometimes players come like Brian Dozier's been there the last couple days. I think what a lot of people don't realize is this really started off as the minor league baseball meetings where play-by-play people looking for jobs. It was kind of a, almost a, a job fair, and now it's turned into the place where MLB Network sets up shop and ESPN Baseball Tonight is down there, and there's kind of a radio row of like Sirius XM and different radio stations and it's kind of grown year after year, and it becomes it's it's basically televised live on MLB Network, uh, twelve to fifteen hours out of the day, and it's become a place where I almost think organizations now feel pressure to crank up the activity. Where there's always yeah. a te- there's always a team or two, and today we're recording this on a Tuesday. It was the Red Sox that traded two of the best prospects in baseball for Chris Bleeping Sale, right? Like there's always <laughs> multiple trades like that this week get a couple cocktails in you you're dave dombrowski that's kind of how theo epstein described his meetings with john lester a couple years ago drinking beer at four o'clock in the morning in a suite at the winter meetings and it turned into a world series championship a couple years later dude so i was going to ask you that because you're a veteran of covering the winter meetings with the chris sale trade going down my question for you wasn't what do you think of the prospects did they give up too much is this the right move are they gambling on the world series window my question was, how many times do you think Dave Dombrowski and Rick Kahn cracked beers over the past, like, six weeks, let's say? <laughs> yeah. Or 
probably even more to the point, like their assistants, right, are going back and forth and figuring out, okay, well, if you'd include Moncada, we're getting close, then we got to add these. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know how much of that was done over teleconferences and how much was done over a cocktail. You know what it is? This is the, I think, and I've covered three, of the, three different winter meetings from like 2011 through, I think, 2013, and this is your first. The best way I can describe it is if you have an annual gathering mid-season or post-season in a big fantasy baseball or football league and everyone's kind of sitting around a big table or a bunch of booths and you got Bud Lights and you got nachos, imagine that but more luxurious in real life. And you're, ta- and, you're, and you're talking trades and you're going from hotel suite to hotel suite instead of like booth to booth. You're talking trades like it's a fantasy league except it's actual real-life people and real-life teams. That's pretty much the week-long Major League Baseball winter meetings. My whole perception has always been, you know, somebody says something that maybe shouldn't or they gave away a little bit of a tidbit. I was listening to a podcast one time. Actually, it wasn't a baseball or sports podcast, but um, I'm trying to think who was being interviewed, but they were good friends with Ned Coletti, I guess, uh, former GM of the Dodgers. And they basically relayed this, I thought, awesome nugget that, uh, Coletti would always go into negotiations and whether he was talking for 90 minutes or two hours, he said, I know I have to weed through a lot of the um, expletive to get to the two minutes of gold in that interview. We'll be talking for 90 minutes here and nothing substantive is going to go down because we already know what everybody thinks of all their players and of all our players. But then somewhere in the middle of that, you've got to stay on your toes. You've got to pay attention because at some point, Somebody unearths a nugget they maybe shouldn't have said or like gives you something that you hadn't heard before that changes the way you think about their players or about your own players. Yeah. And that's where the valuation tips and suddenly, okay, now we're talking. Now we've got a deal for Chris bleeping sale, you know, and Yohan Mankata. It, it, it's exciting, and you can see how it could happen with all the buzz going around here this week. You know you have a great pitching staff when the third best guy in your rotation just won the Cy Young Award. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, come yeah, on, Rick I mean, Porcello, David Price, and now Chris Sale, and I'm sure a lineup that's going to be amazing with a bunch of young hitters, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, come on, man. The Red Sox are ridiculous now. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if uh, if you've looked down the rest of the American League, but there's a lot of people here talking today. Well, there's two things, Phil, and this will this will uh, dovetail back to the Twins and the Central Division here. The first thing is most people talking about the Red Sox is the prohibitive favorites, early favorites, of course. You win the winter doesn't necessarily mean you win the summer and fall, but that they're early favorites in the American League, that you look up and down their roster for 2017, and it's tough to find a, a team with more talent. The second thing I'll say on this, is Chris Sale just the first domino with the White Sox? I, ta- I talked with some people around the Central today that basically... They think this is a signal. This is a, okay, rebuilding. It's not just an isolated trade or anything like that. You don't just give up an ace and then say, well, but we're still going to be competitive and we think Moncada is you know, coming along soon or what. No, no, no. You're basically shooting a signal flare in the air to all the other 28 teams saying, okay, who else you want? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just wondering out loud, but are you going to see guys like Jose Abreu, Quintana, uh, Adam Eaton, Todd Frazier, are you going to see any of those guys traded in this week or the rest of this winter? That's what I'll be fascinated to see from the Twins' perspective is how far down do the White Sox tear this thing in their rebuilding process? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I just saw a quote from Rick Hahn that came across Twitter in the last couple of hours where basically he said, 
he said verbatim, we have other pitchers that are under team control for a long time if anyone wants them. <laughs> like, okay, there you go. There it is. <laughs> All right. That answers that. How about Actually, he, he was probably in a few old fashions deep, and it was probably a little more slurred than uh, than what I said. <laughs> but but, uh, but let's let's get to the to the topic at hand here. Brian Dozier rumor swirling all over the place, and so I'm going to pose my theory on this and my opinion on this. Uh, you tell me what you think, and then provide some insight from some of the people you've talked to down there in Washington D.C. I know you've already talked with Derek Falvey and Thad Levine and a bunch of other people, so. The more I think about it, Derek, the Twins would absolutely, I'm not going to say be foolish, but I think if the Twins don't trade Brian Dozier, either at the winter meetings or sometime this offseason, I think they're missing out on his peak value. He has two years left. We've talked about this. We've done full episodes on this. I feel like they would be making a similar mistake to the one they made nine years ago with Johan Santana. It's not often that you're willing to trade your best player, and there's a market for your best player where multiple teams reportedly are willing to offer really good to great young pieces that can help you in the future. The Twins traded Chuck Knobloch. That was in February in the late 90s. They traded Johan Santana, and this, I think, is going to be the third time in the last 20 years that they have a chance to trade their best player and maybe change their franchise. They kind of whiffed nine years ago, and part of that was because they had great offers on the table at the winter meetings when GMs are feeling frisky, when everyone is bidding, when excitement is at a, and everyone's in the mood to make a deal. And Bill Smith pretty much sat on it for like two months, and they wound up with the Mets deal. I don't know, and I, I guess I trust Derek Falvey and Thad Levine a lot more than I, because they have experience in successful front offices. Bill Smith really didn't on the baseball side. Um, I think if you wait and you play your cards close to the vest and you take this thing into like January, February, or even into the season, you're going to miss the peak value point for Brian Dozier and a chance to get maybe a franchise-changing pitcher in your rotation, under team control for like five or six years. What do you think? Hey guys, this is Justin Muso, pro baseball scout. And Phil Mackey, pro radio guy. And we have the best baseball storytelling podcast on the market. That's right. It's not us telling the stories. It's Aaron Boone on coming from a baseball family and hitting one of the most famous home runs in the country. Jim Brower telling Barry Bond stories. Find Hardball Society on iTunes, Podcast One, 1500ESPN.com, or HardballSociety.com. That's a lot of places. Yeah. I agree with the basic premise. This is the winter to do it. It makes all kinds of sense to move Brian Dozier. You talk about the contract, the production. Is he at peak value? And whether he whether he is or not, like, look, I, I mean, I don't personally think he's going to hit 40 home runs again. But I talked about this on your guys' show the other day when you and Judd asked me about it. It's more about the math of his time window for contributing. It's, it, it, to me, it has much more to do with the fact that, yes, he's coming off a six-war season. Okay, fine. But what's more important to a competitor is that he, you're going to get two years of his service versus if you hang out and try to get him in July or next winter, then you're only talking about a year and a half or a year. So whether he's going to be a six-war player or not again, I, I actually think he could hit that mark because you remember – he basically pulled that off without the first two months of the season. I mean, sure. he was awful for seven or eight weeks. Uh, it's possible he could be something like, let's just call it, I don't know, let's say let's say like a 10-win play over the next two years. And that's, like, like those ten, are the final two. 10 total, you're saying, or, or turns into Mike Trout? No, yeah, no, he's, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be the next Mickey Mantle. But I do think that over two seasons, Dozier could pull that off even without hitting 40 home runs. You know what? 
a 25 or 30 homer guy could be in that ballpark as well. So let's just say, hypothetically, a 10-win player over two years for $15 million. Well, that's pretty good. But if you're talking about a year and a half of that same player, suddenly maybe you're talking about seven wins or six wins. And that's just not nearly as valuable to other teams. So you talk about the timeline being now. I think it has less to do with the fact that he's at the height of powers and more to do with the fact that, hey, you want him contributing to the new team for as long as possible because that's, that's where you get assets in return. The, the reason that I say that, Phil, is just because let's say, he go, let's say he goes into the season. Let's say the Twins don't find a trade to their liking and hang on to Brian Dozier. He's your opening day second baseman. What if he goes on a homer binge and is like, you know, another, he's on pace for another 40 to 45 homer season in the first half? Well, he'll still be a valuable player at the trade deadline, but I think that because of that math equation that I'm talking about, I still think that you could argue that he might not be as valuable to his new team, even though you have more of a reference point that he's this successful a player, just because you don't have as long to get his time commitments. Some of it depends how he does on the postseason and those kinds of things that we just can't predict. But you you look at the timeline of where the Twins are in, in terms of their ability to contend, and you look at the timeline of Dozier having two years left on his contract, I think the time would be now for the Twins to strike a deal, assuming they can find one that they like. Well, here's something else to consider, and I, a couple of our astute Twitter followers who listen to uh, the Touch 'Em All podcast and our radio station brought this up. Brian Dozier is one of the streakiest hitters in baseball. So what happens if you decide, eh, we're going to take this to the trade deadline and see if we can get a bidding war started in July, and he starts off like he has, or at least... Uh, goes through a two-month drought like he has at various points the last three seasons. You know, what if he starts off hitting 170 again when you're trying to trade him in late June? That's a distinct possibility. Right, and you also got to look at the, when you talk about his streaks, I'm also curious what other teams are going to think about that because I don't know, you know, maybe maybe a follower or a listener can help point me in the right direction on this, but I somebody on my email list actually the other day uh, emailed a response on my Brian Dozier column and basically asked if there was uh, sabermetric studies on streaks, uh, length of streaks. He said he thinks that Dozier is that kind of hitter, but he's also brought up Joe Maurer, and he basically said, I think both these guys are slump-prone, um, if that makes any sense. And while I don't exactly agree with Joe Maurer, I, I mean, I just think his overall production has dipped, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something to it with Dozier. And I don't think it's a statistical thing. I don't think it's... Uh, you know, you flip a coin 150 times and probably about 75 times it's going to come up heads. Um, I, I don't think it's something like that. I think if you're in prolonged slumps, I think it's pitchers finding something like in Brian Dozier's case, the fact that he would basically only try to rip inside and high fastballs and jerk them over the left field fence. That's when I've seen him fall into slumps in the past. So if it's something, if it's something like specific and measurable, that you're doing to feed into a slump, well, then I think there absolutely might be something to it. But I, I don't know, to answer the question, I don't know if it's true or if there have been studies or anything like that that, basic, that would say, yep, okay, he's a streaky hitter, so you're less likely to take the chance. I think, I think the Twins know that with the production that he's given over half seasons in the past, one, he's an incredibly valuable player. Two, it's pretty hard to trust that that predict production is going to be consistent yeah uh what have oh let me let me ask you this before we get to the the levine and falvey insight that you've been gathering because we know the dodgers according to some credible reports have been at least fairly aggressive to moderately aggressive in their pursuit to brian dozier and I, uh, john Heyman actually reported 
from MLB Network that uh, the Twins are very receptive to the Dodgers' advances. So you hear all these different rumors and phrases and mystery team, but we know the Dodgers are a team that they need a second baseman. They traded Howie Kendrick. They're probably going to lose Chase Utley, and he's a lot older anyways. Just for fun here, Derek, because I want to I want to gauge what your level of interest would be and what you would need to trade Brian Dozier if you ran the Twins. Let's say Jose DeLeon is the pitcher in question. 24 years old. I believe he's right-handed. Uh, he's been a strikeout guy throughout his t- entire minor league career. He has had a couple arm issues, but nothing that appears to be long-term or structural. But, I mean, every pitcher is kind of a ticking time bomb. He dominated every level of the minor leagues, came up, made six starts at the end of the year for the Dodgers, showed some promise, but had like a six ERA. But he is, by all accounts, a bat-missing, at least a number two starter upside, kind of like a Jose Barrios type. If he is the central piece to the puzzle, is that enough? What would you need? How would those conversations go if you were in the Twins chair in that uh, in that discussion? Uh, first, I'll, I'll get to Deleon in a second. But first, two things. Uh, second on the Yankees, but first on the Heyman report of Twins receptive to the Dodgers' advances. I don't like how there are these like sexual overtones about <laughs> a lot of the way that people <laughs> describe these dis- these discussions and conversations. Like, yes, you're getting boozed up at the winter meetings, but like being receptive to advances, I think it, it always just strikes a different chord for me. Uh, on the <laughs> Yankees front, and and actually speaking of, I can't really transition away from that. So I'm just going to move on. But the John Heyman thing is interesting because basically, uh, well, who is it? Brian Cashman went up on MLB Network Radio the other day and basically was asked, okay, so reports out there that the Yankees, you, Mr. Cashman, you're uh, pursuing the Twins. Brian Dozier would make some sense. You guys have Starling Castro plugged in at second base and could sure use an upgrade there. And, and the power of Dozier would be nice and he's affordable. Cashman stopped him, I guess, and said, no, no. We haven't talked to the Twins about that yet. That's, that's a false report. It just goes to remind you that, and I wrote a column about this today for 1500ESPN.com, just like, buckle up, it's rumor season. There's a couple of different options here. One is that Heyman's 100% right and Cashman's playing coy and lying to spin his side of the narrative. Two, Heyman's being lied to by somebody that wants to push a narrative that there's a bigger trade market in Brian Dozier than there actually might be. So all I would say is cautioning fans to... Just because you read a report or something that somebody's tied to it, I don't know. I think in this one case, it doesn't always necessarily where there's smoke, there's fire. Sometimes it's just smoke this time of year. Um, but getting back to the Dodgers, and uh, first of all, I know that I've seen in on Twitter and on my email list and even on my Facebook page, a lot of people basically asking about DeLeon, DeLeon, DeLeon. If... Urias isn't available, well, then I'd turn the conversation to DeLeon. But my first question, if I'm the Twins to the Dodgers, is, is Julio Urias going to be moved? I mean, he, he's the 20-year-old stud that already rocketed up to the big leagues, and you saw him in the postseason this year. That'd be the guy to target. Um, now, whether the Dodgers would move him, obviously another question, and my answer would be probably not if, if I was the Dodgers. But on DeLeon, I'm always curious... I personally think it would take more than that, Phil, and I, I want to hear what you think. I, I think if you're trading Dozier, I think it's uh, it could be DeLeon plus, right? Because if you're projecting a young pitcher, we talked about uh, Dozier potentially being, you know, a, a, let's say 10-war player over the next two years. Projecting young pitchers is really hard. Even the best of them, you don't really project for very many wins because the attrition rate's so high, injuries are constant, 
And yeah, a guy might strike out some people in the minor leagues and then struggle when he gets to the majors. It's just historically really difficult to take a top prospect list of pitchers and say, this guy's going to make it, this guy's going to make it, this guy's going to make it. It's a lot more of a lottery ticket than that. So anyway, long way of saying that I think that if you think DeLeon's worth 10 wins over the next six seasons, well, then you make the deal because every team wants these controlled years, especially for pitchers. If you can get a young pitcher on a cost-controlled contract who's pretty good, you're in really good shape, and that's kind of becoming currency of Major League Baseball right now. Um, I don't I don't know specifically what a trade package would look like from the Dodgers, but obviously that's one to monitor, and, and that's one that you'd have to be really listening to if you're the Twins. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think I, don't, I certainly don't think this is a Denard span for just one minor league pitcher trade situation. Uh, I think Brian Dozier is more valuable than, than Denard Span was even a couple of years ago when Span had an even more team-friendly contract. Uh, Alex Meyer, keep in mind, was an A-ball yes. pitcher when they acquired him. So he was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, but he had not yet conquered double-A or triple-A, and he had not pitched in the major leagues. A guy like Jose DeLeon has at least pitched in the major leagues, and he's made it and conquered uh, the minor leagues. I'm with you, though. It can't just be one-for-one one straight up. I would need... DeLeon can be the central piece, and you can apply this to the prospect lists of any other team you might be talking to. Um, take like their second-best pitching prospect who's ready to pitch in the major leagues, and then I would need maybe another Trevor May-type prospect and a third piece. I need three pieces. I need your second-best pitching prospect who can miss bats. I need somebody who might be able to pitch in the eighth inning or be like a number four starter like a Trevor May and then maybe a position player prospect or something. I need three pieces. It can't just be one for one for a player like Brian Dozier. Here's an interesting thing from GM Thad Levine earlier today. We, a handful of reporters talked with Falvey and Levine at length um, in their uh, little like war room suite, whatever you want to call it, upstairs at the convention center. And Levine said, now this is a general statement, not a hard and fast rule. They don't like hard and fast rules. The general statement is that in any trade or signing right now for the 2016 going on 17 Twins team, a big priority is controlled years. They're not necessarily uh, you know, closing the door on having a guy who only has one year left in his contract or signing a free agent to a one-year deal. But Levine said, in general... If we're making a trade, it's because we're going to get more cost control years than we're giving up. That's yeah. just going to be a, sort of a blanket. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because the Twins are not ready to contend yet. Anybody that you'd be trading for, you wouldn't be trading to get the marginal win or two or three in 2017. You'd want somebody who could give you those two, three, four, five wins in 2018, 2019, 2020, if possible. So, I mean, it's just like those fantasy parties that you talked about where you'd if you're in a keeper league and you're not competitive this year, you're trying to sell your guy who's at the end of his contract. Let somebody else go make their championship push. Good for you, buddy. But I'm going to try to get Mike Trout back in that deal, you know, so that you can have somebody. This is probably a few years ago. That example might be a little bit dated, but that you're you're no one's sleeping on Mike Trout anymore. Surprisingly, <laughs> after winning multiple MVPs and should have had maybe two more. But, well, he does play uh, late at night for us uh, in the Central and right. Eastern time zone, so you know, you might, there might and still honestly, be some people gonna, discovering him. If I'm going to watch a West Coast game, I'm going to watch Vin Scully, so it's a lot more Dodgers broadcast right, than sure. Angels broadcast. Yeah, it's very feasible. People uh, could be unaware. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, this, the point is true. Like, it's, it's maybe a little trivial, but it's interesting to hear a general manager say that, that 
it's not just about talent for talent. If if talent's basically equal, what the Twins are going to try to do is get somebody that can stay with them for longer. Given their timeline, that does make a lot of sense. But that could inform the kind of player they're going to try to trade for in, in if they look to move Brian Dozier this winter. Yeah. One last thought from my end on Brian Dozier, and we're, and we're probably going to do another episode later this week too, and maybe he's even traded by then. But I'm sure there's more meat on that bone. Uh, I just did a little research here, a little bit, little bit of digging, and this is not gospel. This is not supposed to be a be-all, end-all statistic, but just for fun, for people on the other side of this conversation wondering why on God's green earth would you ever trade your best player, your most marketable player, and the guy who hit over 40 home runs for you last year? And my response has always been some variation of, you can hit as many home runs as you want. If you're the worst pitching team in baseball, it doesn't matter. Like, it just... I don't, you can hit 400 home runs, and you're probably still going to miss the playoffs if your pitching staff is the Twins' pitching staff. So just to either validate or even maybe even come crashing into a new reality, I went back the last 20 years in the major leagues, Derek, and I found every team that led the majors offensively in home runs, okay? So as right. a team led the major leagues in home runs, how many times in the last two decades would you guess... Uh, the team that led the majors in home runs went to the World Series. Man, uh, okay. So dating to, what, 96, and I'm not going to try to come up with the teams that'd be cheating. Sure. But uh, I'll say three. One. What? One time, and it was the Yankees in 2009 when they hit, like, 240 home runs or something. And I think, I'm guessing, they also had a couple pretty darn good starting pitchers because it was the Yankees and it's 2009. Even more where that came from, in those two decades, and again, these are the teams that hit the most bombs, the most taters in the major leagues, right? We all love, we got to have 40 home run hitters up and down the roster. Twelve times in those two decades did the home run leader miss the playoffs altogether. So, again, I, I, not to say that home runs are irrelevant, but if I have a choice between taking the path of trying to cultivate an ERA-leading team or a home run-leading team, I'm taking the pitching path 10 times out of 10. And if Brian Dozier is my conduit to landing top-end starting pitching and maybe one of my only conduits to doing that, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I wrote a column on it. Um, if you don't mind, Phil, I'll close the episode giving a quick plug for our stuff on the website. Fire away. Yeah, It sounds like the GMs are getting rowdy behind you in the background, too, right now. Well, the cocktails came out about half an hour ago, so they're just starting <laughs> to get into number two. And everyone's talking about what they would have had to give up to get Chris Sale from their organization. Uh, but I would just say, so I'm, I'm here just outside D.C. at the winter meetings. Follow all our stuff there. I've also got an email list if you like the five thoughts columns or anything like that. You can just find any of my recent stories. I've got a link on there where you can fill in your email and get those. And then I've started using Facebook a lot more too. Um, Facebook.com slash Derek Wetmore MLB. A lot of fun conversations there this week as people kind of follow along with the winter meetings. And I've actually gotten some some good questions from, from listeners and from readers weighing in on things that I maybe wouldn't have thought on. So a lot of fun twins conversations going on there too. All right, Derek Wetmore in Washington, D.C. Uh, go to the bar and get some information that you can tweet out to us <laughs> late at night tonight, all right? All right, we'll talk to you later, Phil.